Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. In each episode, we'll have a frank discussion with industry experts to help brands and business leaders navigate the changing landscape of marketing and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School. Hi, I'm Amy Cashman, UKMD for Cantor TNS and I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Finance client lead across Camtar. So today's episode is, in some sense, a bit of a, a back-to-basics way of thinking about marketing. There, there's been a lot of talk, almost a constant in, within the marketing industry, around sort of thinking about, is marketing relevant, is it valuable, does it create value, and so on and so forth. So we thought we'd explore that today by really thinking, you know, what is the business case for marketing and advertising, um, and, and maybe some common sense principles that we need to remind ourselves of as we think about this in, in the modern environment. So we're delighted to have with us Russell Parsons, who's the editor of Marketing Week. And I wanted to start, Russell, um, by asking you about an article that you wrote in Marketing Week, where you were sort of outlining the way that despite there being a, a huge sort of case of evidence around the effectiveness of marketing, that perhaps the industry itself doesn't always believe and promote that in the right way. And I just wonder if you could just talk a bit more about that. I can, and hello. <laughs> There was a, well, there's been various studies uh, produced by various different bodies that have demonstrated the effectiveness of what marketers do, in particular over the last couple of years. And a couple of things struck me about that, that it was necessary, firstly, that having had, what, almost five decades of modern marketing, for want of a better way of putting it, and countless examples of transformation and marketing-led transformation of companies and brands, that that case needed to be made in 2018, that studies had to be produced to demonstrate the effectiveness of what marketing did. So that was one of the things that sort of led me to raise it as an issue. The other thing, and it's uh, something that I've noticed perhaps for like, certainly since the financial crash, which is what, 10 years, we just, I was gonna say celebrated then. <laughs> we just marked the 10th <laughs> yeah. anniversary of the collapse of Lehman Brothers, is that gradually over that time, marketers have perhaps become a little weary, a little disconsolate. I think they're reacting to what they believe anyway is a rejection of marketing, of advertising by 
millennials, world-weary, cynical millennials who don't want to be advertised or broadcast to. And I think that stems, as, as I say, from the financial crash and perhaps a wider trust issue with, with business, in particular financial services, but business generally. They start to believe a lot of the studies, I think, which are in many cases flawed, that millennials just don't want advertising. And that feeds into this kind of disconsolate nature and this belief that they have to do something different. They can't just sell things to people. They have to be their friend. They have to engage with them. So I think those two things, perhaps, I noted and thought to myself, you know what, there's two things that need to happen here. Marketers need to do better at, at presenting the case for marketing and investment in marketing to their peers, to stakeholders within their business, finance directors and board members. But they also perhaps need to make the case or remind themselves that what they do in terms of generating growth, generating revenue increases in their business is actually a really worthwhile exercise. So that was what led me to write or begin to talk about these things and write these pieces. So I guess in a sense there's a certain irony that the marketing profession might suffer from an inability to market themselves effectively and market you know, the kind of ROI they deliver. Just wondered if you had ideas on where, where that comes from, you know, is it about the personalities of people who work in marketing? Is it about where they are positioned within organisations? Just really interested in your views on that. I mean, I think it speaks to the point I just made there about this belief, this acceptance of wisdom. And it does come through study often, but this general malaise about the effectiveness of what they do in particular to millennials and this belief that they perhaps have to be purpose-driven and be a bit more worthy in what they do as opposed to just, you know, dare I say it, sell stuff. <laughs> but it, it is about their internal place in an organisation. Uh, I mean, one of the things that's dominated my time at Marketing Week in particular as, as editor is, is noticing how much navel-gazing marketers do and, and, and how much bemoaning of their lot there is that you know they're not taken seriously that in order to have that influence and impact in the boardroom that they have to you know change their ways and change the way that they speak and change the way that they communicate and change the way that they talk about marketing and all of that is is definitely the case absolutely the case but I think there's also a couple of other dynamics going on here as well. I mean, when it comes to that relationship, in particular with finance directors, and again, it might be because of this sort of perpetual state of economic uncertainty that we're in. I think that is the case, but it's also because of how much data and how much is attributable nowadays is that, that marketing is getting pushed right down to the bottom of the funnel. So there's a lot of data-driven marketing that's easily attributable that demonstrate to their finance directors that, they're, that they are you know, that they are worth their lot, that they are that, that they are delivering payback. And I think that in itself says to, because marketers have sort of been quite willing to push themselves or, or, or follow that route as well as being pushed down to it, but it, it doesn't demonstrate at all the various different levers that are involved in marketing a product or a service. So they need to be better and braver and bolder at saying, yes, it is about customer experience. Yes, it is about brand building. Yes, it is about all of these wonderful things that won't perhaps be demonstrated in the short term in a way that a data-driven digital campaign will be. So there's various different things at play here. On the one hand, there's marketing as, as, a, as a job you know, it's in the job title, I'm a marketing manager or whatever. 
and then there's sort of a broader marketing mindset or a marketing sensibility that I, that I think you don't need to just be in a marketing role in an organization to adopt, meaning you care about growth, you care about customers, you care about the experience, you care about revenue, um, you care about long-term aspects. So, so to sort of think about, in some sense, where the field is headed and, and this, this issue that, that we've been talking about, could it not also be that, that maybe this sort of marketing mindset or sensibility or way of thinking needs to just get out there across the organisation, not just within the people who do that as their day-to-day -day job? And would that actually help? I think so. I mean, I talked about marketers being a bit disconsolate, a little bit unhappy with their lot, talked about navel-gazing. I think there actually is an absolute job for marketers to market themselves within an organization a lot better. But it's all linked, you know, you have to believe in what you're doing, you have to be very clear on the contribution that you can make and then go out and talk about it. But be company orientated as well as customer orientated and product orientated. It's all, you know, you have to be balanced across the board. So what I mean by company orientated is that you have to talk about what you do through the prism of what the company is it's trying to achieve from a business perspective as well. Um, so you have to be clear, you have to talk that language of the company and its board. But as I say, don't be shy, be brave to go out and sell marketing within your organisation. Otherwise, you're going to be the first thing to be cut. Have we gone too far with being data-driven? I mean, I personally, I'm a very big proponent of data-driven marketing, but have we gone too far in that regard because that's in some sense trying to communicate the CFO or, or whoever else in numbers terms, mm. that it makes us very short-termist, makes us very much focused on only those things that we can measure as opposed to the bigger picture. Is that, is that something that you're seeing as a bit of a, maybe you know, a dynamic that, that's hurting us despite the fact that, that analytics and data are you know, probably undeniably valuable? I think the answer's yes, I think, to the question that you asked, which is we are, as marketers, becoming a little bit data-driven. There's nothing... I, I actually... I've had two people in the industry say to me over the last year that, you know, oh, you're the guy who doesn't like data, which is, <laughs> you know, if that's my legacy, then, then so oh, be it. God. It's not that I don't like data. I have written extensively, though, that there are limitations. I think to unleash the power of data, you need to know what its limitations are as well. I think you can get all of the numbers and you can measure loads and loads of different things, uh, but you need to be able to turn that into some sort of demonstrable, actionable insight. And looking at a spreadsheet will tell you only an element of the story. There are various different ways to get that insight in order to serve your customers better but it also has the potential detriment of telling you what is attributable and therefore making conclusions about what's effective and I'm talking about media spend here you can prove a lot with a spreadsheet it can tell you a lot but it won't tell you whether or not it's the right thing to do in order to achieve the objectives that you have as a brand and in turn as a company. It'll just tell you that something is paying off immediately. It won't tell you necessarily whether or not it's the right thing to do on a long-term basis. I mean, we are, as an industry, obsessed with collecting opinion from people. One of our regular contributors, Tom Goodwin, writes extensively about this, which is, you know, we're obsessed about measuring the service that we offer. You know, he talked about getting emails instantly and I'm sure you do as well please rate your service and either you're just 
you know, you just do it on autopilot and it doesn't really mean anything. But somebody somewhere is taking that data very seriously. But does it really tell the story about your experience, your propensity to use that service again? You know, your, the overall impression of that brand that it left? No, it doesn't. But it will be used extensively to make some serious decisions about investment. And it's just one of those limitations of data. So data is great, but it isn't the full picture and it can also lead you down investment decisions in terms of media buying, like I say, that aren't the right thing for your brand to do. I think in, in that kind of case where, you know, you've got, as you've just mentioned, sort of a discrete point in the customer journey that you've measured, you know, that is obviously a risky way to try and evaluate the whole customer experience. I think the best organisations we've seen that do this pull in all sorts of other data sources to support that that central maybe strand of data around the experience. So they're bringing in what's going on on social media, you know, they're bringing in ethnography, they're bringing in all sorts of other rich data sources to try and augment the whole um, understanding of the customer experience. So I think it's, it's, it's really, yeah, it's really obviously not a positive to be just focused on one set of data as well. It's like, what else can you look at and bring into the, the picture to help understand what's happening? You will be, I mean, you're absolutely right and you should use all the tools at your disposal, but perhaps not forget that you are a human being with great levels of insight and instinct, and you should lean on that as much as you do on all the various different data points. Otherwise, you'll never, A, make a decision that you can call your own, and B, you are a customer as well as a marketer, so don't forget that. Mm. I mean, there are so many different ways that you can find out how your customers are behaving. The most important one is actually observing them and asking them, not just relying upon anonymized data or numbers to tell you what you need to be doing. That will help you, but it isn't the full story, as I say. Um, customer centricity is a thing that, that we've been talking about now for a long time in marketing, and it's sort of this thing that gets thrown around, and you know we all want to you know wear on our sleeves the badge saying that we we are customer centric marketers and, and we put the customer at the heart of everything we do, but what on earth does that actually mean in practice? And are marketers talking the talk or are they actually doing this? I think it means increasingly less the more times people say <laughs> it, which is not to dismiss or disparage anybody who describes themselves as customer-centric. I mean, it should be a 101 in marketing that you are customer-centric. It shouldn't need saying, but perhaps given some of the things we talked about, it does need saying again. Mark Ritson, who's a, a, a contributor and a columnist on Marketing Week, says, and I think it's a great truism, that the first stage of customer centricity or customer orientation, as he puts it, is to accept that you know nothing. You know nothing about your customers. You aren't them, and you not, know nothing about them, which I know is slightly contradictory about what I just said about mm -hmm. Marcus being customers too, but... Stay with me. So once you accept that, then you need to go out and find out what they think, what, how they operate, where they are, what their behavior is, what their attitudes are. Because if you accept that you know nothing about them, then that's a pretty good standing point, starting point. And as I say, there's loads and loads of different ways to, to, to start building a picture, to start building your products and services that add value to people's lives. One of which, and I, would support it if you truly want to be customer centric is to actually go out and observe people. I mean, physically. One of the most revealing things that somebody said to me this year. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Was the former... Well, the founder and former CMO of GIF, Gaff, and Paddy Power, and loads of different uh, big brands, Gav Thompson, who told me that when he was formulating the idea of GIF, Gaff, that he went into O2 shops, Telefonica being the founding partner of GIF, Gaff, and just sort of looked at and listened to how people were interacting with customer services agents there to build a picture. Now, it might not be logistically possible for all marketers to go out into the wild and observe people, but it seems to me to be an important element if you are credibly going to call yourself customer-centric. So we've talked a lot about customer experience and, and how important as well understanding that experience and customer centricity is. Historically, that's really sat with the marketing department within organisations, but we're increasingly seeing the rise of roles such as chief customer officer, chief experience officer. I just wonder your perspective, Russell, on you know where does that leave marketing in that mix of customer understanding? And also, um, you know, sort of almost who owns the customer, if, if anyone can do such a thing, within the organisation. Various different things I would say in response to that. Most of the chief customer officer roles that I see being filled, and the CCO role is becoming greater in number and, and a more of a common thing, are being filled by marketers. And I don't think there's any accident there linking to what we've just talked about, the very nature or the very guiding principle of the job of a marketer should be customer orientation and customer centricity therefore they are pretty much in the box seat when it comes to the chief customer officer role i think i mean i'm not going to argue the case necessarily that the marketer must be the person who owns the customer experience but they're certainly as i say in an ideal position to own that relationship if they're doing their job correct right from orientation strategy through to execution it seems to me to be um, a good place to start to have a customer in that role I mean who should own it in a service in a consumer-led organization well I think there needs to be an organizing principle and that should be the brand and the brand should be as much about what you do and not just about what you say. So if a marketer is in charge of that, yes, they're talking about brand communication, but I'm sure we can all find examples of where a brand has said or communicated a benefit positioning around what they do, but the experience is very, very different. So it has to be everybody's responsibility, but marketers are in a really good place to lead that in an organization.
and it has to be about brand comms, it has to be about customer service, it has to be about personal interaction with an individual, it has to be an experience from an, an app, it has to be an experience on the phone, whatever touch point that is, it needs to speak to the brand and it needs to speak to the brand objectives. So when, when you frame it that way, listing all of those things, it actually to me sounds like this is not the job of one individual or one part of the organization. Although we're heading in that direction, right? So, so sure, you need someone to kind of pull it all together. But, but what this is also sort of saying, at least my view, is this is a very sort of collaborative. It should be a collaborative effort. It should be um, very multidisciplinary within an organization to, to probably pull it off properly, because there are so many moving parts here. So, so could we reasonably expect, in a sort of a classic hierarchical organization type structure, um, you know, essentially one one person with team uh, to, to make all of that happen in, in sort of this complex environment we now exist in. There's arguments on both sides, but in my experience and limited experience, I suppose, working in the business world, it needs somebody to take ownership of it. I mean, everybody should in a service organization or customer-led or B2C organization, whatever way you want to put it, everybody should have responsibility for making sure that your customer is happy that you are doing right by them you know from the person who works on the shop floor in the supermarket to the ceo everybody has or should have that responsibility because otherwise what, what are you bothering for i mean that, it seems to me to be the thing that everybody should be on board with but you have to have somebody in the middle of that orchestrating and making sure that all aspects of an organization from operations to brand communications to PR to customer service to logistics is ultimately aiming towards that goal of serving your customer better. So whether or not it be a marketer, and I've just made the case that the press well placed to, to take that position or somebody else, it does need a central individual department, whatever way you want to organize, to lead on it. Almost feels like we're getting to the point of saying it's basically the CEO's job because you know a number of those functions you just talked about really ultimately you know report up to the CEO. So it should it has to come from the top. Yeah. It has to come from the top down. I mean a culture, you know a, a company purpose has to come from the top down. Individuals come and go, but. You know, if you have a, an overriding objectives from a business and a customer point of view, which is, and the two things should be absolutely married to each other, then that's important and that has to come from the top down. To this point around millennials, I know a number of pieces of research that we've done at Kantar suggest that the upside of really engaging with them in the right way is that they are much more likely to be prepared to share data and things, but they are more discerning and I would say um, more sort of um, demanding in terms of the evidence that that data is being used to help them. So they are kind of an audience that are there to be engaged, but you really have to demonstrate to them that you're giving them a return themselves. If you start from the beginning on data, and whether or not you're talking about millennials or baby boomers, or I think I'm Generation X. I think I'm Generation X. I think you just need to make sure that, and this is gonna sound almost utopian, you're just doing the right thing by your customers. Yeah. If you are collecting their data or you are capturing that data, then you are being transparent and explicit 
in gaining the consent and being very, very, very almost prescriptive in telling people that this is the if this, this is the benefit, this is the value exchange. And I think whether or not you're talking about millennials or Generation X or Z or whoever it is, then I don't think you're going to go very far wrong if you are not transparent. And obviously, the introduction of GDPR earlier this year made it, you know, the law that you had to be transparent. But if you're not transparent, then you're going to get found out. It's something that Cantor's looked at in our ad reaction survey, and we asked marketers to what degree they thought their campaign was well integrated, and that was sort of 90% of those. But then when we asked a sort of a, a differently phrased, but getting at the same thing kind of question to our consumers, that was for about half of them felt that. So there's quite a big gap between that sort of feeling that the campaign was really effectively integrated. And when we asked the question about online targeting as well, 58% of marketers thought it was reliable, but actually 27% of consumers felt they had advertising that was effectively targeted to them. So perhaps the gap that exists is, is larger than we all understand. I think that you could say that, and that's a truism for a lot of aspects of what marketers do. Not necessarily just that, but there is a there is a problem between perception and reality. So there's a lot of people out there who look at themselves and look at their friends and look at their uh, contemporaries in in metropolitan bubbles, for want of a much better way of putting it, and think that their customers are doing the same thing. So whether or not it be about making media choices, thinking that everybody's on social media, everybody's multi-platforming, multi-taxing, fragmenting in their media use as much as as much as they and their friends are. And that's just, you know, actually the reality is the world isn't as advanced as you and your peers at work or you and your friends. Well, and that just leads straight back to the point about customer centricity, because if you knew your customers, you'd know that. Speaking to your research and various other pieces of research that I've seen, which actually lay bare media use, you know, we, we're obsessed about declaring the death of things. And I, as a journalist, take some responsibility for that because it makes a good headline. But, you know, TV isn't dead, it's changing. And, you know, arguably, perhaps it isn't as in a robust state as it was if your measure of success is the number of millions of people that are watching at prime time. It's just different to what it is. It isn't dying, it's just different. So reports of it and other media and other things that we love to declare are dead are vastly over-exaggerated in the main. You've been listening to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School and Kantar. Find more episodes and related content at uk.kantar.com or at sbs.oxford.edu. Thank you.